morning. Welcome to Fully Free with Ashley, the podcast on all things mental health, healing, wellness, women's hormones, eating disorders, and so much more. Uh, It's been a very long time. I can't even remember the last time that I recorded a podcast. It's been over a year and I'm super excited to be back and here with some new topics to share with you all. I'm definitely still sticking with the no BS introduction. I don't really want to do a repetitive traditional intro to my podcast. I hope everyone's okay with that. I just want to be authentic and me and show up and kind of head right into the topic of the day. Maybe with a little bit of updates on what's going on in my life because I mean after a year's past a lot has changed. So in general the direction of this podcast is going to be more broad mental health topics now. I'm going to shy away from a lot of the physical, hormonal topics that I've traditionally spoken about, although the odd time I might do a follow-up or some type of guest interview again, because I just want to talk about whatever comes up that I'm passionate about, and mental health is definitely the underlying foundation of what I think my purpose in life is, so I'm definitely super excited to dive more into a lot of different psychology theories, modalities for healing, and all of that. Uh, I am still teaching. Um, Last year during the pandemic, I taught full year kindergarten, which was a wonderful experience, and I absolutely love that age group. Right now, I'm just going to be supply teaching for the time being, but I'm also hoping to go back to school finally to become a therapist. I want to become a psychotherapist, and I've been uh, contemplating that idea since 2018, just unsure and unable to kind of make a concrete decision, but I feel very confident that that's the direction I want to go in with my life now, even if it takes, and when it does take, a lot of sacrifice and time and money and all that good stuff. Uh, I feel really grounded in that in that direction, so I'm excited about that. Definitely hasn't been an easy time. I can't believe that this pandemic is shaping out the way it has and just everything that's going on in the world is really overwhelming. So I hope everyone listening has a really strong support system and outlet and people they can connect with to support them and if you don't or you ever feel like or you ever feel like you don't have anyone please don't hesitate to contact me even if we barely know each other or you just came across my podcast whatever it is you can connect with me on social media I do still have the fully free with Ashley Instagram although I barely post on it my personal one is one love ash o-n-e-l-u-v-a-s-h and yeah I love connecting with anyone and everyone on there so I just wanted to say that at the start of this episode. As for day-to-day life, the only thing that's really changed for me is I've shifted a lot away from yoga in the last while. I still am infinitely grateful for everything yoga has opened up for me healing-wise, but I've been really enjoying ice hockey again. That was my childhood passion, and I basically would do it every day if my body allowed me to, but I'm scheduling in conscious breaks and really trying to take care of myself as well and really enjoying hiking and nature and all the things the outdoors has to offer. Other than that, I feel not much has changed because of COVID and everything, but anyways. So today's uh, topic is actually on attachment theory, 
And you may have heard of attachment styles before that's kind of loosely thrown around. And I feel like more people and therapists on social media are sharing more about what attachment styles are. And I'm just really fascinated with all these theories. To be honest, part of me had like imposter syndrome when I was thinking of planning this episode because I was like, well, I'm not a therapist yet. So why do I have a right to talk about this topic publicly and blah, blah, blah. And I just shut that down because... I do so much research and I love this topic and I'm not claiming to be a therapist. I'm not here giving therapy on this podcast. I'm just bringing awareness and sharing ideas that are already created. I'm just reiterating the information because I think it's really powerful and it's really affected me and my self-awareness and I love to pass that on and see what opens up for other people. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It's just going to be me chatting and I'll try not to make it too long. Okay, so what is attachment theory? The central idea with attachment theory is basically how available and responsive our parents or our caregivers, guardians were to us as children directly influences how safe we feel and our security. Uh, So with this secure foundation, if we develop secure attachments in childhood, children and ourselves we can begin to explore and go out in the world knowing we have a secure home base to come back to and we have more confidence and higher self-esteem and all of these really important qualities that impact us during critical growth periods and also directly influence our relationships as adults i think an important premise to introduce here or thing to remember as well is that attachment styles aren't concrete and set in stone so it's not like you are one type of attachment style and you never change and you can't change Uh, they're actually fluid ever-changing depends on the type of relationship like friendships versus romantic relationships versus family relationships versus co-workers like we can have a mixture and different attachment styles can come in at different points in our lives and etc so it's fluid and ever-changing Also, I think it's cool to consider why we may have developed certain types of tendencies. Uh, Like for instance, for myself, I tend to trend towards an anxious relationship attachment style, especially in dating or romantic relationships. I'll explain them all in a few minutes. But it's cool to relate it to our past and also our past and our experiences and our genetics and everything is so complex and interconnected and we'll never know everything for sure so what's most important in my opinion is just recognizing like the type of attachment that we do embody the most and then being committed to to showing up for ourselves and changing our insecure attachment styles through work and committed practice whether or not we figure out exactly what caused it in childhood and it's not about blaming our parents or caregivers or anything like that either because there's so much more that comes into our development that we just can't pinpoint one specific thing so back to secure attachment so the feeling of safety and security this doesn't only mean being physically safe although that's obviously crucial especially as a child i don't know if you can put yourself in a bit of a throwback place for a minute but I can remember how I felt when I felt like unstable or worried or unsafe as a child like I can start to feel the physical sensations in my body and that didn't feel good it felt very ungrounding so obviously physical safety is huge but our 
being securely attached is also heavily related to uh, nervous system regulation and developing co-regulation with parents, caregivers, etc. So as kids, we aren't able to self-regulate or regulate our own emotions. And the only way for us to do this is through co-regulation. So that is defined as like warm, responsive, caring interactions with, with these caregivers that are supportive and they coach and model us as children to better express, understand, and modulate our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. That's a, like a concrete definition. So an example would be uh, a mother modeling, dealing with her own stress in the kitchen when she's cooking and helping herself take deep breaths and speaking positively to herself and modeling, like demonstrating how to regulate her own emotions so the child or the children can pick up on this regulation and begin to um, emulate it and understand it and embody it themselves. And not only that, um, but tying back to the nervous system regulation, not all these things need to be verbally expressed, but we pick up on subtle cues and subconscious things in our environments and based on how our parents are. So like if your parents were highly anxious, even if they didn't say aloud, Ashley, I'm highly anxious or Jacob, I'm highly anxious today. Even if they didn't say these things out loud, our bodies, especially as children, because all we can do is co-regulate, our bodies sense um, this anxiety, this uneasiness, and our bodies co-regulate and directly develop related to our parents and our caregivers, whoever's supporting us and their nervous system. So that's really important. And I definitely am super passionate about nervous system and the body so I'll definitely dive into that in the future probably with guest lecture not lecture guest interview friends or professionals but the point is modeling isn't only about verbally or physically demonstrating things um so this also relates to holding space for big feelings so an example of this would be when a child is stressed or crying over being stressed being very patient, calm, and responding by saying something like, I know this must be really scary and I'm here with you to take some deep breaths and be in it with you. Uh, So that's a good example of being there for the big feelings and allowing the space and containment for the child to experience it rather than being like, oh, you're fine, be quiet, Uh, stop, be, be a big boy, stop crying, all those things. So it's really important the language that is used and the type of environment that is created for a child to experience all these emotions and this also ties into allowing self-expression without shaming being sensitive providing consistent support with the whole spectrum of emotions and this requires parents and teachers because teachers of early years have huge potential to be positive attachments for children there's so much research that shows that even if children don't have positive attachments at home, if they can form one positive attachment to another caregiver like a teacher, it can significantly impact their mental health in a positive way and their development, which is super amazing to know and also reminds us of our responsibility and the power of, of our role as educators. Uh, and honestly, it also requires these adults to be aware of their own bodies and being aware of how to self-soothe themselves so they can pass on these important qualities. And like I was saying, we unconsciously as children pick up on the cues from all these older individuals and our brains develop and our nervous systems develop directly related to this. 
So Mary Ainsworth expanded on Balby's work. I might have not said that that name right, but it's the earliest attachment work. And one of the experiments was on 12 to 18 year, 18 months old, sorry, observations on children being separated from their mothers and then reunited with them. It was a brief separation just to see different children's responses. And there was originally three main attachment styles that were labeled and then a fourth one was added in. And these attachment styles in children are often correlated to how we attach as adults, which is very fascinating to me. So uh, one of the first attachment styles that was found was ambivalent insecure, and this is anxious attachment. So uh, this might show up as the parent returning to the child and the child very needily wanting the parent, wanting to be close, initiating contact, like being, they were distressed that they were separated from their parent. And, uh, this type of attachment style, when it's more prevalent or you trend toward this in adulthood, it may show up in your relationships or in certain relationships as this individual being more anxious, more prone to seeming clingy or needing more reassurance, needing verbal reassurance, um, often related to overthinking, you know, worrying about a partner's intentions and overthinking that every little thing someone's mad at you about or every little thing is about something that you did wrong. And the core wound here is fear of abandonment. So someone in adulthood uh, with this tent, like trending in this direction is, is more fearing being abandoned. So in response, their body goes into overdrive trying to like maintain and continue and, and build the relationship. And this attachment style in children is connected to parents who are inconsistent. So these parents either exaggerate distress to elicit a caring response, or they're sometimes supportive and then sometimes misattuned. So it confuses the child. Like they don't know what's going on really. Um, and also it's really associated with parents with high emotional hunger. So parents who are possibly very overprotective, very can be over responsive and like, let's say a kid falls and cuts themselves like over like, Oh my gosh, blah, 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 like blows everything out of proportion. Um, and these parents with higher emotional uh, hunger often seek comfort through their kids. So they have their own like dysregulated nervous system. So they feel more comfortable like being really close to the children and it satisfies their own needs and calms themselves rather than it being authentically originally about the child's needs. And that doesn't make these people bad people. Often um, anxious attachment children have anxiously attached parents, at least one of them. That's what research shows. So it's just interesting to bring awareness to this. So that was the first one. The second attachment style is avoidant. And this is kind of split into two different categories. So the avoidant insecure. And these type of attachments are formed because children's needs aren't met. Uh, often there's repeated rejections. Uh, there's might be little to no boundaries at home. Uh, so there might be no privacy. Like the parents make all the rules. They're all up in your life. That's enmeshment. Or it could be formed from lack of emotional space. So like there's no emotional validation. Uh, there's no support. So this child learns that they can't rely on caregivers. They can't rely on other people. So they have to rely on themselves. Uh, and this shows up in the experiment as the children avoiding the parents when they return or avoiding the mother, sorry, and choosing possibly even a stranger over the mother to connect with. It can also be a result of abuse, neglect, uh, and they just learn that they have to become very dependent because no one else is reliable. 
And this can show up in adult relationships as fearing closeness and intimacy, even if they want it. So like an avoidant, insecure attachment might really want to be intimate, but then they start to get there and they start to feel like weird feelings. They fear getting closer. They feel detached. They don't know why this kind of changed so rapidly. Um, and this is because they learn to only rely on themselves. So it's very uncomfortable for them to vulnerably start to rely on someone else, even if as an adult, this other individual demonstrates many secure qualities it's still a scary thing for avoidance and they might not have the awareness around this um this might show up in the relationships as avoidant people disappearing disconnecting withdrawing especially when they're going through their own stress um or even when their partner like the other partner has high emotions they might like avoid the conversations avoid difficult discussions push people away who care kind of go into their own hermit to themselves mode and subconsciously they feel safer that way kind of in like self-sabotage rather than opening up the potential to being betrayed by someone else so this might also manifest as these people searching for faults in others or trying to think of reasons why they don't like someone now or why they don't want to continue the relationship and maybe relationship hopping because they never really have to get that intimate with someone then so that was a, an umbrella of avoidant insecure and there's two types of avoidant insecures there's fearful avoidant and these people are distrustful of their partner's love and even their own potential to sustain or develop a relationship so they're they might be overly sensitive to a partner's request for more emotional contact or requests for more uh, connection and again this is jumping from relationship to relationship they want love but they fear it they can't like they can't be stable in pursuing love and opening up vulnerably. And next we have dismissive avoidant. So these avoidants are really cut off from their feelings. They have trouble distinguishing and expressing their emotions and their feelings. They might not even have the words to put their feelings into to express. Um, they just literally are not able to reach emotional depth that another partner wants. So it might always feel like super shallow. There's no progress. Everything's really surface level. And the only way this type of avoidant person feels secure is when they need control. So to feel comfortable, they need to be in control. And these type of people might kind of breadcrumb you or keep you on the bench. Like you're, you're, they engage with you, but they don't let you get too close. They, throw you a little line here and there or they kind of try to keep you engaged and stuff but there's never any development beyond that it's just kind of it kind of feels super shallow and surface level and that's because these people are often avoidant of commitment um their exes might always be around in the background these are just some some symptoms or signs that, that someone might be an avoidant or a, a dismissive avoidant and again you might not only fit into one category you can bounce around but if you're listening to this and you heard one of the categories and you're like ah that person in my life was definitely this attachment like we can't know for sure we shouldn't be like diagnosing people or like or putting people into little boxes and assuming that's like their whole identity I think it's important that we talk about how we should not do that but I think it is still cool to be able to recognize that these attachments that we've formed as children like are undeniably connected to our confidence our self-esteem our communication styles our our boundary setting and upholding all these things in adulthood and it's crazy that we aren't all taught about this in school even 
Another point is that some labels will overlap and be written a bit differently. So fearful avoidant attachments are also called disorganized attachments. So sometimes they're just labeled differently. If you look up somewhere you want to do attachment style quizzes, you can learn a little bit about yourself, but you probably have some ideas about yourself if you self-reflect after listening to some of these uh, explanations and descriptions. And then what's really cool now is recognizing how you show up. So like I was saying, I trend towards being anxiously attached, especially in dating and relationships that way. So I really appreciate lots of verbal reassurance, um, connection. Uh, I do know my fear is being abandoned and uh, it, this isn't something to be shameful about or sad about. It actually is great opportunity for me to communicate with someone that I'm seeing or dating that uh, for me to feel secure and cared for, I need constant communication and uh, honest honest um, sharing of feelings and all these whatever else comes up for me like as a request obviously another person isn't obligated to meet those requests but they are important for me in connection to feel safe and if someone cares about me I hope they would try to meet those needs and that's what's really cool about understanding our attachment styles or what we we trend towards and what's also interesting is there's often an anxious avoidant uh uh, drive towards one another so anxiously attached people often attract avoidantly attached people and it's like a, a chase it's like a game because it's just a constant back and forth of the inability to meet one another's needs especially when there's no communication or self-awareness on one or either of the parties in the relationship and this is often called the protest withdraw the anxious avoidant trap so this is when an anxious person gets involved or has a relationship with an avoidantly attached person and it often is showing up in two different ways or one of the two sorry so it's one partner is always chasing the other so it always seems like one person is asking for more or connecting or initiating everything and the other one's just kind of idly uh going along for the ride or the other option is one partner chases and then the other one turns around and decides they don't want to be involved anymore or sorry the other one turns around and starts to give back and then the chasing one originally turns around and runs away so it's like a game of running and giving and turning around and just like always feels chaotic and it's like a roller coaster and it's because each partner deals with their emotions differently avoidant attachments tend to withdraw and process their own stress internally and also avoidance main fear is fear of basically enmeshment or losing themselves or fear of loss of self so avoidance want to have more autonomy more independence in the relationship but anxiously attached people often subconsciously process this as meaning this person doesn't want me or doesn't like me and then they cling more and then that scares off the avoidant person so it becomes this horrible cycle without awareness within it I hope that makes sense, but I found it so fascinating because I've caught myself in these cycles many, many times, many times. And um, then the last attachment style is the one that we all really hope to be or be able to create, and that's secure attachment. And uh, secure attachment is when there's low relationship anxiety, there's a strong positive emotional bond with a caregiver, and then this 
translates into our ability to develop these strong emotional bonds and and uh, reciprocal relationships in adulthood you know secure people are can seek support for themselves communicate their needs uh, uphold their boundaries trust partners trust their partner's words share their feelings and there's a balance between like your own independence and space and then also togetherness like thinking from a we lens but also able to commit to their own goals and personal growth and personal time and the cool thing is no matter what attachment style we're prone to we can start to practice and commit to trying to shift them if we're not super happy with them into um, a secure relationship uh, attachment and I would say I'm not at secure relationship attachment yet I'm still one of the main things I'm working on Uh, I'd highly recommend doing therapy and having an actual therapist or a coach that's certified and uh, able to help guide you through these things because what's opened up for me in therapy I couldn't have done on my own even though I'm so committed to this work so that's my first um, insight and also just I really want to challenge the idea that therapy is only when someone's like severely depressed or severely anxious it's it's not just for that everyone can benefit therapy especially because it helps bring Um, awareness to ourselves and our experiences so I'll I'll stop there for now on that point but some other things we can do are starting with recognizing how our styles impacting our relationship uh, taking steps out of our comfort zone to communicate our needs to partners and friends Um, commit to our own personal passions and self-development outside of relationships especially if we're we know we're more clone to like clingy clinginess and feeling needy when we start Um, a new romantic relationship or whatever it might be you know staying committed to our own development as our own selves and along this whole journey practicing self-compassion and not like harping on ourselves when we when we start to recognize these patterns it's not about that it's it's really about the awareness so we can shift while also loving ourselves through that process and I would say like I said it's it's we're not one type of attachment style like I feel much more confident in my ability now with practice to voice my boundaries and uphold them with friends and also I feel way more secure in my attachments with friends than I do when I'm dating so like it's totally different in different scenarios and it'll be different in different phases of our lives and we can always improve and uh, commit to that process and if we begin to recognize like our partners we think they have a certain type of attachment style and we're having communication issues or whatever it might be going on for us there's always the chance to initiate this discussion and explore attachment styles together and then explore strategies that can help you both communicate better and or maybe i should say but there also comes a time where we as humans like who love ourselves have to hold ourselves accountable and recognize when connections aren't going to work because other people are just emotionally unavailable and if people are very insecurely attached unfortunately that is a huge sign of emotional unavailability if they're unwilling or unable to look at how they are showing up so that might be hard to grapple with if you've been in a relationship for a long time or even a friendship that's just become toxic and uh, you your boundaries aren't being respected boundaries are a whole other episode in of itself or more than one episode but I just wanted to kind of end the podcast with that 
it's cool to learn about these attachment styles they're fluid ever-changing you're not only one and we also shouldn't use our attachment style as an excuse to abuse or take advantage of other people whether or not we had the awareness before or we just have it now there's always something we can do so we can create more secure relationships in our lives so that's it for today if this resonates with you or you realize what attachment style you feel like you are more or you have any questions or anything at all please message me I love to talk about this stuff so much fun and uh, I look forward to recording more podcasts throughout 2020 and 2021 and stay tuned for those guests and I hope you all have a wonderful week